See me live at Southern Brewing Company karaoke on Thursday night. Yeah. So this is funeral stories. Yeah. For those of you who are here, you're here. What a different transition or intro. Mm-hmm. You know why though? Why? Because we've been at Southern Brewing Company. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Doing the damn thing. Yeah. So Laura, this is Laura. Nope. I'm Casey. This is Laura. Mm-hmm. Nope. Wait. I'm Casey. I'm Laura. <laughs> And we are funeral story. Yes, yeah, the one with the mannish voices, Laura. Uh, hold on, I have a mannish voice. Back when I used to smoke cigarettes, I would wake mm-hmm. up and I'd be like, Seven, it's your wife. Oh, God, that is upsetting. Come kiss me. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that hurts me deep down. That is upsetting. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes when I have like a sinus infection, I still sound like that. Shit, then come and get some. Speaking of Janice Joplin and karaoke, though, I used to be way better. Were we talking about Janice Joplin well, and karaoke? We kind of le- led okay. into this with like, I'll be there doing Janice. I don't know if I actually. Anyway, I used to do Janice and karaoke way better when I smoked cigarettes. But I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, no, we're gonna go with bad thing. Like it's, it's so nice to hear your your glass your your glass your voice. I thought you were gonna say Gladys Knight. I was like, also do Midnight Train to Georgia. Thank you. Your voice (laughs) is very like ice tinkling in a glass of sweet tea. Oh, I'd like to take a poll on who thinks that. (laughs) It's gonna be one vote. (laughs) It's gonna be me. Speaking of join funeral stories family, yeah, our group on Facebook and answer the fucking question. Gah. it's not that hard. Yeah, like we're gonna start cracking down. <laughs> we're trying to create a safe space, and there's one fucking question to answer. You guys, love you. By the way, that's yeah. something we gotta talk about. That was aggressive, <laughs> uh, as it should be. Yeah, as it should be. Mm-hmm. It's not even. It's not even like what are our names. It's like. <laughs> Did you rate and review on iTunes? <laughs> and you can either type yes or no, and you will still get in. Yeah. But people just don't answer it. <laughs> yeah. Not that hard. No. Oh, well. Directions are hard. They're difficult. It turns out. Apparently. So. So. What to- are we doing here today, Laura? Today, we're going to talk about the late, the great, great. Anthony Bourdain. Mm. Take a moment. Gone too soon. So near and dear to my heart. And I'm excited to hear about why. Okay. We all, I think everyone has their own reasons. But Yes, which is sort of the beautiful part of Anthony Bourdain. So let's dive into the research. Okay. And we're, we'll definitely have to cite this article because it was really cool where they told his story via quotes from... Uh, from people that were closest to him. Mm-hmm. So I used part of that and then just my own research. And so, yeah, we definitely have to do some citations on this okay. episode. Yeah. Wait, so, never mind. Go ahead. You sure? During the podcast? Like while we're recording? No, like we'll, After. we'll put, okay. yeah, we'll put citations because I only did a few of the quotes and there's so many and I thought it was such so a great way. So you want people to be able to go see? Yeah, okay, I want people gotcha. to be able to go and see because I was I like, only did a portion of them. Are you worried about getting sued? That's no. Like. <laughs> gotcha, good. Yeah, good, good. there's so many great. Because it's a great article. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it was really good and I only used a very small portion of it. So, gotcha. But anyway, so <clears throat> Anthony Michael Bourdain was born June 25th, 1956 in New York City, but spent most of his childhood in Leonia, New Jersey. I didn't know he was a cancer. <laughs> yeah. I'm a cancer. You're a cancer. I don't know anything about cancers. You like know <laughs> the most cancer you. you've ever met. <laughs> I'm a cancer. So you're the human embodiment of a cancer. Like uh, the disease on your chest was named after me. 
<laughs> so it's aggressive. <laughs> it's honestly of all the star aggressive signs. Aggressive and terrible. <laughs> of all the star signs, I think we should have gone more. It, Scorpio would sound better for yeah. your disease. Or yeah, like Scorpio a, is a, like, I have Scorpio. I have Scorpio. Or I have Taurus. My no. daughter's a Taurus. I have Taurus. No offense to Scorpios out there. No offense to Taurus. My daughter's one. So it's weird because I'm Capricorn and my husband is Pisces. And I'll He's read, my best match, by the way. Well, I'll read stuff <laughs> about our our astrology stuff, and it sounds just like us if you switch it. Like I'm yeah. the Pisces, and he's I'm more of a Leo. So it's weird, really. Yeah, but but it's all about okay. your your rising sign. Mm, okay, and your moon sign. I realize I'm doing that thing where I'm totally going away from what we were actually here for. Yeah, but I'm a Cancer. It's like Cancers are very sensitive. Okay. Like literally, I am the most sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Um, homebodies, very like loving. They want to create nurturing spaces. I'm not a homebody because my moon sign mm-hmm. is Leo. Okay. My uh, well, rising moon sign, Leo, Libra. So I mean, I'm all over the fucking place. Yeah. But anyway, a, okay. he's a Cancer. But so, but traditionally, he would not be a Cancer. Like, okay. the way, but thinking of, like, his... Yeah. That's why I was like, I didn't know he was a Cancer, because he was so open to traveling and being a w- out and yeah. about. Okay, that makes and sense. And we we're supposed to be homebodies that want to stay inside hmm. and... Well, to oh, that... let's go to no, this. So. Yes. Perfect transition. Good job, Casey. He wrote that his love of food was kindled in his youth while on a family vacation in France when he tried his first oyster on a fisherman's boat. His rebellious personality enticed him to eat whatever everyone else around him deemed as gross. He began his career as a dishwasher in Provincetown, Massachusetts, before going to the Culinary Institute of America. And after graduating from the CIA, he went on... CIA? Culinary Institute of America. God damn it. Yeah. Okay. He went went on... (laughs) Whoa! Whoa, shit, man. I'm learning all kinds of shit (laughs) They need to rethink their yeah. abbreviation. <laughs> you need to change the name of your school because the CIA is kind of already taken, guys. How about like Culinary Kena Institute of North America? <laughs> the Kina. <laughs> but Cucina. Think about Cucina. Doesn't Cucina. that mean, means kitchen in Spanish? Sure. Add a little more words. A little more work. God damn it. So he went on to become executive chef in a different re- in a few different restaurants, and then he started writing. And on that, David Remnick, editor in chief of the New Yorker, quote: "My wife came home one day and she said, "Look, there's a really nice woman at the newspaper. Her son is a writer. She wanted you to look at his work, which seemed adorable, right? <laughs> a mother's ambition for a son. I took this manu- manuscript out of its yellow envelope, not expecting much." I started to read. It was about a young cook working at a pretty average steak and fritz place on Lower Park Avenue. I called this guy up on the phone. He answered it in his kitchen. I said, I'd like to publish this work of yours in The New Yorker. I hope that's okay. That was the beginning of Anthony Bourdain being published. I don't know if there's any way to put this other than to say he invented himself as a writer, as a public personality. It was all there. The article was called Don't Eat Before Reading This. Based on the article, he went on to write Kitchen Confidential, published in 2000. Okay. Which was about a year, I think it was a year after he published the article. What year did he graduate? So he was born in 56, graduated in 78. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is he didn't even travel until his 40s. Based on the article, he went on to write Kitchen Confidential, published in 2000. A New York Times bestseller that developed a large following and turned... Anthony Bourdain into a celebrity, which it's a great book. I've read all of his books, really? and they're really good. Yeah. Um, Lydia Tangalia, the co-founder of ZPC Productions, recounts that after reading K- Kitchen Confidential, she called Bourdain and said, hey, I'm a producer. Can I talk with you? And Tony was like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> we made an appointment to meet at the restaurant. It was in between the lunch and the dinner service, and I walked in, and he was sitting at the bar. He had his chef whites on, unbuttoned, and he was having a drink. He stood up, and my first thought was, 
He's very tall. We're going to be looking up his nose a lot on our cameras. <laughs> we watched him in the kitchen, clearly in control. He just talked about what traveling the world would be like would be like for him. He had gone to France as a kid and had gone to Japan once, and that was it. And so at this point, you know, we're we're talking like the early two thousands. And he was born in fifty six. Yeah. So he didn't even start traveling like until his forties. I mean, you think of him as this icon of a person who traveled that's because that's what he's known as yes but he didn't even start that until his 40s so what was his like childhood what like class like was he middle class was he yeah middle class yeah yeah um middle class and he was just kind of one of these and it's a lot of it is in his book where he they would go to that's what i want yeah Yeah, go to massachusetts and spend the i mean he talks about this openly in his book that they would go and they do a bunch of coke and they get these like summer jobs and he just sort of started in the kitchen that way and like as like a like a dishwasher like 20 years old or 25 yeah 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 and then you know started the culinary institute and okay okay gotcha okay so he was yeah. a dishwasher before. Oh yeah, I mean okay. he he like literally started at the lowest part of the totem pole. So it wasn't like he graduated high school and went to no, CIA. No, 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 no. I think it took him a little while to sort of figure it all out. Gotcha. But travel, it was more like he was, a, you know, just a kid with a job so that he could stay in Massachusetts doing <laughs> doing blow <laughs> with his friends, yeah. and so. It was more of the the fun time aspect of it, but then it turned into something more. Yeah. So this really sticks out to me. He was, I mean, because he was in his late 40s. And when he did his first show, that was when he really started to travel for the first time. Yeah. So the first show was was called A Cook's Tour. And they were cleared to record the first slate of episodes in Japan, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand. Oh. Tingalia, who was the producer, and Chris Collins, the other co-founder, Tingalia's, who was Tingalia's husband, described that it was like recording the first block of episodes. Japan was a fucking disaster, is what they have to say about like his first shows. Oh, that they gotcha. I was like, whoa, that is offensive. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> now no. I realize. Yeah, yeah, they were talking about in no, the, not Japan itself. They the were Japan talking about, shows yeah, that we the Japan filmed. shows, but they're like, <laughs> like when asked how was it recording with Tony for the first time in Japan? A Japan disaster. was a fucking yeah. disaster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you see my eyes? I was <laughs> yeah. like, whoa. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you. our listenership is very high in Japan, <laughs> but just but in still, case, <laughs> no, they, they weren't saying that. No, not at all, and I'm not either. The mistakes were very clear. He did not engage with us. He would not acknowledge our presence and that we were there working together. We would go back to the hotel and say, we are so screwed. Oh, fuck. Then we flew to Vietnam. Suddenly, he took, he looked around and he had this instant cultural touchstone. His idea of Vietnam, Japan, and Hong Kong all emanated out of literary and mm. film references. And, of course, he was a voracious reader. One of those just pre preternaturally gifted people that could absorb what he had read and retain it. He wanted to connect what he had read with the actual experience of that in a very romantic way. So he had a connection. Yeah. And, you know, you think about that when you travel to somewhere else that you have read about and you, I mean, I know going to the UK recently and then all of a sudden it all sort of connects with you like, fuck, that's Westminster Abbey. Or that's this, yeah. or this is about this that I read in a book, and this is Blackfire's Bridge that's been in so many different novels. And so you know how you have you've said that like your big connection to where you went in the UK mm-hmm. like was obviously like your ancestry. Mm-hmm. So I've been reading a lot. I know I have been reading a lot. Uh oh. Let's just everyone take a moment. Everyone take a moment. I've been reading a lot about. Um, when you have connections to things that make no sense to for like your background and who you are mm-hmm. and how you've identified but you you read something or you you learn about something and you ju- or you meet someone or whatever and you feel this like deep spiritual connection mm-hmm. i've been reading a lot about um it, i'm going to use the term past lives yeah because that's what, what right. they're alluding to it's fine yeah but they also allude to like alternate timelines yeah and so um 
I know that there there are a lot of people I know, and I'm like, you are the fucking whitest kid I know. Why are you so fascinated by Japanese culture, or yeah. or I guess Vietnamese culture, or German culture, or like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like things like that, and it, it and so it, it is interesting to me. And maybe stay tuned, and I'll do a podcast about that. Yeah, but the fact that like Vietnamese, he's a white Northern American mm-hmm. dude. Well, but I, mean, I think it probably he was connected to all these cultures and I'd say he, he the fact that he didn't travel till he was 40 yeah seems like he was a pretty probably a pretty worldly person in my like readings in a past life yeah do you know yeah. what I mean like and he was a very literary person yeah. in his present life and um that's kind of what they said he came alive because those frames of reference were starting to pop his sudden inclination was to turn and share that with us you could sense this excitement like, holy crap, I'm actually on the <laughs> ground in a location that I have studied and I know that I have references to. You know, Apocalypse Now, Heart of Darkness, Graham Greene, the Vietnam War. He was <laughs> percolating with an excitement that was very genuine. And so... Yeah, I mean, I guess if he's born 58, 58? Yeah. Then... 50, yeah, 56, yeah. 56, so yeah. born in 56, then he like grew up. Right, hearing during all that of time, this stuff yeah. about the Vietnam War, and now he's actually walking yeah. there. Yeah. In a totally different set of shoes. Yes. Like, in, in a way of like... context. Yeah. You know, that's where he did the episode with Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which but is this, this was way before that. Yeah. yeah obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, after the initial success of a Cook's Tour, Food Network demanded more domestic episodes and more beauty shots of barbecue... Bourdain balked. He and ZPZ went to the Travel Channel a year later and rebooted the show as Anthony Bourdain, No Reservations. Mm. The show would eventually migrate to CNN as Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. Mm-hmm. So it's basically the same show. Yeah. Um, but I remember No Reservations. Oh, yeah. No Reservations. <laughs> People's idea of Tony is formed after 20 years of watching him on television. And there What was- a good name, by the way. What, Bourdain? No, 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 no reservations. Like, yeah. the fact, like, yeah, like, there's no reservations. Like, we're not holding back. Yeah. And then also, like, no, we're going to places that we're going to, do not take reservations. It might be scary to you. Yeah. And that's what I loved is his mix of this is a fine dining establishment. This There was one episode where they literally went to, like, an underground restaurant in someone's home. Yeah. That was in Detroit. Yeah. So it was like. <gasps> I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. And now, now that place has turned into. I'm pretty sure this is the same episode, but the play, maybe it was in the same episode where in, yeah. when he was in Detroit, but it was a kitchen that is now turned into, they're like a nonprofit now and they're just, they just make food for oh, people, cool. like homeless people. Yeah. Yeah. So me, that's insane. Yeah. In a good way. Watching him on television and there's a sense of this guy is the unmuscled James Bond. In fact, he was actually a shy man. A lot of those close to him describe him as shy, timid, and a bit awkward, which I can really see because sometimes there's that presence that someone has when they're in front of a camera that's totally different yeah. than how they are in their own like a, life. Like us at a live show. <laughs> we like kind of reverse a little bit. Yeah. 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 Gabriel Hamilton, owner and chef of Prune, he was an awkward dude. When he's on, you know, he can perform imperfectly. But I think he was—he has social anxiety. I know he does. Tony's famously like, just don't leave my side. We're about to walk into this room, and there's going to be 450 people in it, and they're all going to say hi to me, and can you not be far away? They talk about his genuine desire to help others taste life. Michael Rollman, author... Taste life. Taste life. Michael Rollman, author... There was this woman who was a foodie, but she was a student and she was poor. And she used to go by his restaurant every day. She'd just stand out there looking in and smelling the smells and thinking about it. (laughs) One day, Tony came out and said, hey, I see you here all the time. She said, yeah, I can't afford to eat here. Mm -hmm. He said, come in, I'm going to feed you. Mm -hmm. And so he fed her a steak and a proper Bernays sauce while she sat amongst the crowd. Tom Colicchio. Mm. Chef, TV host. We love, love Tom Malikia. <laughs> Anthony took food, food TV and turned it into something serious. It was about bringing people together mm-hmm. around food and trying to get Americans to see someone living in a Middle Eastern country 
that they weren't terrorists. They were people who lived there mm-hmm. and had very similar issues to issues we have here. And he was able to do that through food. Yeah. Repair. Eric Repair. He never complained about anything. That was something that struck me about Tony. You could be hours in a car, or you could be freezing weather, or you could be in a room with very unpleasant people, and Tony would not complain, ever. And Eric Repair is the one that found him, by the way. Oh, okay. Matt Golding, co-founder of Roads and Kingdoms. You could never beat Anthony Bourdain to a meeting. It was impossible. And if you were late to a meeting, you probably wouldn't get a second one. The guy <laughs> showed up 15, 20 minutes early to everything in life. He would have hated me. See, I'm I'm a 15 minutes early is where kind of my sweet spot. That's where I like to be. Ten, I'm, a, I'm a 10 to 15, maybe not 15 to 20. Girl, we were, we were late. I remember the last time I saw him out in L.A. And we were going into Netflix for the show that we were developing with him. Mm-hmm. We said, you know what? Let's try to get there 20 minutes early. <laughs> We've got to beat Bourdain. And so we show up there 22 minutes early into the lobby. Sure enough, there's mm-hmm. Tony sitting there with his legs crossed with his newspaper out and his cup <laughs> of coffee. And he's like, enough, guys. You're going to, you're never going to beat me. <laughs> Jen Ag. Chef and author, I got an advanced copy of my book to him and didn't expect much. But within a week, he'd sent me a beautiful cover-worthy quote, and I actually cried. I couldn't quite believe he'd done it. I was very used to being dismissed, ignored, vilified by the men who run my industry. So when he chose to do the opposite, I was very, very touched. Mm. Quint, he's the kind of host like Anna Garten or Martha Stewart, who has Tupperware ready to go at the end of a meal. He made sure there were extras and that you went home with stuff. I was saying to him, I want my daughter to do martial arts and learn to play piano. And he said, I don't care what she does as long as she loves it. Mm. I thought that was beautiful because that is the right attitude for parenting. Mm -hmm. Not to push, to help someone who be who they already are and to help someone search hard enough to find who they they could be. Mm -hmm. Hamilton. That's the thing about friendship with Tony. Tony lavishes you with love and friendship and generosity and kindness. And then he disappears in the night and you don't get to reciprocate. It wasn't mutual, but it was breathtaking to be loved by him. Mm. So, Freilich. I just think it's lonelier without him in the world. Yeah. One of my favorite things about travel is food. And so, this is my own personal experience about Verdane. So, one of my favorite things when we travel is food. (laughs) Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. And this was my first trip out of the country, and I was very excited to try all of the native cuisines. Mm -hmm. So I spent hours mapping out the best places to eat on our route. When I say best, I don't mean expensive or fancy or trendy. I mean best by simple, local, and tested. A hole in the wall with some ambiance. How long did it take? Like, I just imagine you, like, in your living room or wherever at night, like, just, like digging deep yeah yeah going deep into the restaurant what did you use so i sort of use this cross-reference thing where i'll do um yelp yeah or TripAdvisor and or TripAdvisor really and do like the best rated Mm -hmm. um and that with like a Yelp app and see like where the two sort of meet together mm. because then you get the mix of like what the people are saying and what the critics are saying. Okay. About it. Yeah. And we'll just kind of go down the list and see which ones. Yeah. Sort what of a suit great their ambiance app. Yeah. To create though. Like, yeah. You could, where you go and you, we gotta make this out. <laughs> where you go and you punch in like, what are you looking for? Great food. But you don't care about the service or yeah. great food, great service. Don't care too much about that. the well, atmosphere. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, that. well, that's I used to sort of look on like what's the hottest restaurant yeah. when I traveled. I used to do that, and you end up being a little bit disappointed because there's so much hype because it's on all the best mm-hmm. eatlets and this and that and that. But if you go to TripAdvisor, you see authentic reviews of people who have eaten there mm-hmm. and. A mix of locals and tourists who yeah. really enjoyed this restaurant. You see a lot of this, like, we had planned to go here, but it was too busy, so I we went to this place instead, and it was and it yeah. was so delicious. And so, 
I think of this restaurant called Indigo Coastal Shanty in mm-hmm. my home in Brunswick. So if you ever find yourself in Brunswick, Georgia, go to Indigo Coastal Shanty. But it's delicious and it's one of the best restaurants around. And anyone that lives there says, "Oh, Indigo is my favorite restaurant mm-hmm. in Brunswick." But you never see it on like it's. There are other restaurants downtown that are more publicized. That it's more, a, a locals restaurant, right? Which exactly. Is what you want. Yeah, and it's got really good ambiance, and everyone there is always really helpful, and they always are willing to edit a dish for you here and there. But it's which for our non-local listeners, it's important to know that Brunswick is actually a very yeah busy place because it is. So close to Jekyll Island and St. Simons. Island. Right. Yeah. And, I, um, you know, when people will come in and say, what's the best place to eat on St. Simons? I'm like, "If the better <laughs> food is in Brunswick. Yeah. Because they have to compete. And honestly, it's cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing is the the food on St. Simons is fine. And there are some really good Palmer's Cafe, best chocolate mm-hmm. chip pancakes. Like, there are some really good places to eat on St. Simons. But... Brunswick is just better because mm-hmm. they have to compete with yeah. the islands. I mean, yeah. yeah, they have to have food worthy of leaving the islands for. So that's sort of my happy place yeah. are those. Also, there's beautiful views in Brunswick. Oh, gosh. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so you did this thing like when you were going to the UK where you were kind of deep in your yeah. fucking yeah. encyclopedias. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like trying to figure out. And, oh, like. Another one would be Gary Lee's. You never hear about Gary Lee's, even though it's delicious barbecue, but everyone hears about Southern Soul. And I don't like meat. Yeah. I don't like meat. I was a vegetarian for like 15 years. I don't like meat. But I like Gary Lee's. It's so good. I mean, Southern Soul is delicious on St. Simon's, but Gary Lee's is also good and you never hear about it. Well, I'm lucky that I've had more Gary Lee's (laughs) than I've had Southern Soul. And And it's so affordable. Here in Athens, the freaking Mexican food... Gas station tacos are the so, second best. So good. <laughs> literally. And it's literally in a Texaco. Yeah. Yeah. And so I sort of... Anthony Bourdain would have loved Taquerita Horitos. Exactly. He would be fucking all up exactly. in there. Like if he ever did an Athens episode, that is straight Athens up. has some of the best food. And I mean, Athens has some great food. Yes. I mean, Hugh H. Atchison. Atchison. I'll blame Southern Brewing Company for that. <laughs> He's from here. Yeah. Judge on Top Chef. He's got five restaurants in town. Yeah. Um, and it's so good. Athens has some of the best food. Alien Bourdain totally would have done an episode here. Yeah. We love Athens food. Very conceivable. For he, sure. In, in fact, Mimi with Homemade mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of, um, not, not, I wouldn't say reminds me, but not knowing much about this world of culinary arts. Yeah. Um, her appreciation for food and being in Athens and being able to bring other cultures and mix it in this Southern yeah. gourmet way. It What I'm hearing you say about Anthony Bourdain, it sounds a lot like Mimi. Oh, yeah. And homemade is so fucking... Oh, my God. It's delicious. Anyway. Been, see, that's the sort of thing. It's an Anthony Bourdain episode. He would have gone to somewhere like homemade. Which is off the beaten path. Off the beaten path, yeah. but still a popular it's not restaurant. downtown. But then he would have also gone to somewhere like... Taqueria Horitos. Taqueria yeah. Horitos and had tacos in a gas station. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that's where the good food is. Yeah. It's not about the fancy schmancy white tablecloth It's the stuff. unassuming places. Exactly. And that have the best food. That's what I I like to eat when I travel, or yeah. those sort of unassuming restaurants. So tell yeah. me a little bit about the places you, you did go. Um, or, or just, you just tell me what the fuck you want to tell me. Yeah, so I'll kind of go into that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So, but I sort of discovered that idea and concept from watching Anthony Bourdain. Mm. He never, he was never scared to eat something fresh from a market, a greasy spoon, or a dive bar. And he ta- taught us all that tried and true hole in the wall can outshine any Michelin star. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, our trip ended up being a tribute to Bourdain. Preparing for it, I thought a lot about him. And I remember watching an episode of No Reservations about London. So I, of course, looked up the episode to see what he had to say mm-hmm. on London. And that was, any notion you might have that English food is bad, that's hopelessly outdated <laughs> thinking. In fact, London has long been a food capital. Pubs, you know about them. And they are truly as fine and wonderful as they are said to be. 
People here like to drink, often too much, and sometimes, admittedly, not well. You can understand then, perhaps, why London is one of my favorite cities, often a home away from home. And on this front, I totally agree. The food was in, in London was delicious. Even after my carefully planned route of cuisine, the best laid plans off go astray. Deschamps was a restaurant I really wanted to try. It was on every list you can imagine. Best eats, best Indian cuisine, cheap eats, local eats, tourist eats. It was everywhere. Which is probably why the wait for a table was two hours at around 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Mm. Exhausted from our travels, there was no friggin' way, so we dipped into a pub I can't even remember the name of. <laughs> Still wanting to relish the idea of ordering something non-American, I opted for the soft beef, salt beef sandwich with fat chips. It was delicious. The British know what know their way around a damn potato. <laughs> Washed it down with a slightly below room temperature cascale, and I was already feeling better. Now, Anthony Bourdain's favorite restaurant of all time is in London. He mentions it in No Reservation and Parts Unknown. It's called St. John, a nose-to-table restaurant known for their simple yet unique cuisine. Bourdain described their bone marrow appetizer as his single favorite dish in the world and current death row meal, which is weird. That is weird. Bone Bone marrow marrow appetizer. So I wonder what that's like. That's what we had there. We went and had it. Went and ate it. So describe it. So it's bone marrow, which so you have it served in the bone. Okay. And and you you take they have a special spoon to like dip it out and then it's served with toast and a salt and then a So is it's like a paste or like a because I think sort about of, how bone marrow looks. It's Well, it's in like, yeah, these long bones that are, you know, four inches tall. And mm-hmm. so you scoop it all out and you put it on the toast with this salt and the little salad stuff. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. Like, what am I eating right now? <laughs> this is delicious. Was, was Gary at all, when you were like, oh, we're getting the bone marrow, was he like, what? Oh, Gary don't give a shit. Yeah. But I love sweetbreads. And who the fuck doesn't? Yeah, they're delicious. Who the fuck doesn't? Yeah. Come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that that idea got me super pumped. Mm-hmm. And so I made a reservation for as soon as they opened at 6 p.m. The bone marrow was indeed a revelation. Mm-hmm. The house wine was excellent and extremely reasonable. Another draw that St. John is ridicul- ridiculously reasonable for an award-winning restaurant. Mm. However, the experience fell a little short from there. Oh, no. The menu changes daily, so the sweetbreads and pork meatballs, we'll say, were no longer an option. And while I do love an adventure in eating, there was not a single thing on the entree menu that I knew what it was or our waitress. Mm. And our waitress was so rude and unconcerned with us. I felt uncomfortable asking, you know, like. There was stuff I was, I mean, I just didn't really know what it was. So I would have liked to ask the waitress, but she was so rude to us. I opted for the blood cake because I had seen that on, I can't remember. I think their names are just (laughs) terrible. I gotta be honest. They need a rebranding on all their food. Like even the bone marrow appetizer, like let's just call it something else. Like let's call it like bone, bone yums. (laughs) That's better than. Bony, bony yum yums. (laughs) So what the fuck is a blood pudding? (laughs) A sausage. A sausage in like a loaf form. Okay, this is the thing about their food. Cake, pudding. What do we think when we eat cake and pudding? Sweet. Sweet. Not always the case. And I I, I have like the royal peasant yeah. here in, in yeah. Athens. When I go there, I'm always like, oh, oh no, that's not a cake. <laughs> It's not a pudding either, my friends. Where are the vanilla wafers? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm going to need the vanilla. But, but it was delicious. What I ate was so really, like really good. So, like, blood sausage. Yeah. But this okay. was in more of a, like, yeah, a loaf form. And it was absolutely delicious. But it was so rich, mm. I couldn't eat it all. And I thought, okay, I need half of this size portion with some sort of salad on the okay. side to sort of break how yeah. break up how like a I needed an acid. I needed something to break up the richness of the blood cake. Even yeah. though it was really, really good. So was it like a meatloaf? Yeah, somewhere okay. like if you took a meatloaf and sliced it. And like so it was just a, you know, flat piece, but yeah. So like one piece of meatloaf. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's but how a rich big it was. piece of meatloaf. Oh, gotcha. Like okay. this. It was huge. It was just way too much to eat. Gotcha. Okay. And for it being as rich as it and was. And blood pudding is like a sausage? Is a sausage, yeah. So would that be more blood pudding? Is, oh, that's just a sausage. Blood pudding is like a black colored sausage. Okay. So it's not yeah. like a, a dish. Right. Eat. It's like It's usually one. served with something else. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, um... And then Gary ordered something that had chop in the title. That <laughs> was basically a ham steak. You so he just guessed. Y'all are just guessing. Yeah. He was just like, chop sounds good. And I was like, well, I, I know I saw blood cake on Anthony Bourdain's show and it looked, I mean, mm-hmm. he was enjoying it. So I'll try it. Um, <laughs> would I go back there? Yes. Even if it was just to get the bone marrow and a beer, I would highly recommend it. Absolutely. But if you see a waitress with a blonde greased down mohawk, <laughs> steer clear from her. The only bad service we had on our entire trip, and it was just her. The bartender and host were both delightful. It just sucked because I missed out on other things I wanted to do in order to make the reservation. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was really good food. The service wasn't great, but I would, it's not this, I would go back and give it another try. Okay. Because, I mean, the bone marrow was seriously like, this is delicious. What am I eating? I've never had I mean, anything I'm interested like this before. in the bone yeah. marrow. Yeah, for sure. Um... My dogs love bone marrow. <laughs> but I guess back back to Bourdain. He goes on to talk about other aspects of London, such as tourist attractions. The borough market, he says, artisanal bakers, dedicated pork product producers, every variety of delicious English food to stuff in your gob. The London Eye. It's the most popular tourist attraction. Why? I have no idea. (laughs) He offers advice for getting around by taxi and tube, but ends with saying, traffic can be really, really bad here. So a quicker, more effective way to see things might well be the relatively touristy boat ride. And that, in a nutshell, is why I love him so much. Because Mm -hmm. he's honest, and he's funny, and he's unpretentious. Because... You know, he's like, yeah, I don't understand why the London Eye is such a big deal. It's a tourist trap. But if you're going to do something touristy, do a boat ride Mm -hmm. because it's a great way to get around and see the city. So it's not like somebody going like, oh, don't do that. It's touristy. You shouldn't do that. It's touristy. It's like if it's touristy and it makes sense, fucking do it. And also if you're only going to be there once, maybe. Yeah. I mean, because it's not fucking cheap to travel anymore. Right. Like, so why not go see the, the yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. But we did do the, the boat ride, and you did, yeah, it was great because we got to see. Because I'm not one of those that's like, I need to go in everything, yeah, but I'm here and I want to see it, so let's get on, let's the, get a the picture boat ride and see, like, be able to see everything. Like, we saw Shakespeare's The Globe and everything, we're able to see everything from you didn't want to go in the there. boat. I mean, I would have, if I went back. But it yeah. was, it's sort of, you're going for a tasting, such, you're going for a tasting menu, so you know what you want to see more of next yeah. time, you know? And it was, it was, I mean, not, not that it was a quick trip, but considering your, the travel and how long it takes, it was, yeah. you would, you would have liked to have stayed longer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, in the episode, he then moves on to Edinburgh, and so did we, via Wales, but we'll come back to Wales. Did you base your trip on any, like... No, it was no. more, I had sort of done some research, and then I thought, oh, I remember Anthony Bourdain did gotcha. a couple of episodes on London, and or, I knew I'd seen one on London before, and I thought there was one on Edinburgh, and so I thought, let's go back and just see if there are any, if there's anything in particular that he recommends, and he recommended St. John in both episodes. Hmm. So I thought, I've got to go here. I've got to see this shit for sure. And it wasn't, it was disappointing because I wanted it to be better. Like, but I wanted the service to be great and perfect and wonderful. And it wasn't But you're not Anthony Bourdain and they didn't have a heads up. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So I'm not Anthony Bourdain and no one was there to prepare dishes for me. I still recommend it. If you go to London, go to St. John and at least eat the fucking bone marrow and have a beer. Tell them you know Laura from Funeral Stories. Because the beer was like four pounds. It was not expensive for, I mean, the rest of London. It was so, and it was good. For people that don't understand exchange rate. Yeah. Explain how much four pounds is. Because I do know it's more than six ish, six bucks, six, six fifty, depending on what day. And what is it normally like if you went to another place? Eight to ten. Yeah. So. And y'all got drunk. Yeah. We drank a lot. You spent a lot of money. Yeah. On booze. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We did for sure. Um, So. I knew it would be an in the moment decision about whether or not to try haggis. Which is. Haggis? Haggis. H-A-G-G-I-S. When we were in Scotland. 
So, which is sheep liver, heart, and lungs mixed with oatmeal and other spices and shoved in a sheep's stomach, then boiled. So, when we got to a restaurant called the Red Squirrel, known for their burgers, I decided to go for it with their haggis bonbons. They weren't bad. We also had a beer at Oxford Bar, per Anthony Bourdain's recommendation, though Toochster's was our favorite bar in Edinburgh. There I watched my first rugby game, discovered my new favorite whiskey called Port Charlotte, and had an amazing charcuterie board with complimentary smoked salmon. So that was sort of my... That's cool. My tour of Edinburgh. And... Um, talk, I want you to talk more about the fucking sheep stomach. Haggis? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the dish of Scotland, and I really love the way Anthony Bourdain approaches food, because so many of the things that are trendy and popular now were peasant food mm-hmm. back in the day. And so his whole concept is if you turn your nose up, mm-hmm. this used to be something that people had to eat. They didn't have a choice. But, but, but it feels like a lot of work. What do you mean? To take all of these things, put it in a sheep's stomach, and then boil it. I right? mean, that was just what they had to eat as far as getting protein and as far as... But is as it good? To make it better, but, you know... So many textures. Yeah, it is. And it's illegal to serve in the United States because it has lung in it. So you can't get it here. Oh, you can't eat lung in the United States? No. Why is that? I don't really know. Because we can't have Probably anything Probably some good kind here. of, like, mad cow shit or something. We can't have know. anything good here. <laughs> and, I mean, as far as haggis is concerned... I've tried it. It wasn't terrible, but it's, I'm not going to put it on my list of favorite meals. <laughs> it's not your daytime meal. Scene. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, not at all. It was The bone marrow was a revelation compared. Yeah, yeah but I bet if sure. it's a meal that you grew up with your mother cooking, you would... Well, yeah. see, that's the whole thing is, you know, yeah. Anthony Bourdain says, you know, if you turn your nose up at their pe- at the peasant food of a country, you're turning your nose up their, at their culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, even if it sounds disgusting as someone from America or it sounds like something you don't want to eat, you think about going to your grandmother's house and like no matter what your grandma cooks for you you fucking eat it yeah absolutely you don't, you're just like mm-hmm, this this is this is what i'm eating in well it's on some weird way it reminds me almost of like sushi yeah because that is totally a cultural food like that yeah. is like that is what they have yeah it's what they make they make amazing things out of, of it of course yeah but growing up as a kid in south georgia you're like why the fuck would i eat sushi i wasn't yeah but people but i know a lot of people that are like that Mm -hmm. until they fucking try it and i'm not talking california roll yeah i'm talking like an actual bless you an actual piece of some good ass sushi yeah and and they it's the 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 texture the flavor yeah like who knows raw fish can have such flavor so i can imagine it's yeah in my mind it's kind of the same thing yeah for sure and so when I was planning my trip, I found the episodes about London and Edinburgh, but I was wondering about Wales. <laughs> and it turns out Wales was actually on a list of five places that Bourdain did not want to go to. Oh, really? Saying there wasn't enough culture or varied cuisine to take him there when mm. they, were, they were so close to London and Edinburgh. I also remember him saying something similar about Denmark. But when he went there, he admitted how wrong he was. Mm. So I decided to eat my way across Wales in a way that would make Bourdain proud and change his mind. Mm-hmm. I researched the cuisine of Wales and tried everything I could. Rarebit, cockles, whitebait, and the best lamb I have ever eaten. Mm. And I don't usually eat lamb, but I'm like, I'm in fucking Wales. Yeah. I have to eat it while I'm here. Yeah. And also the friggin' cheese. It was absolutely delicious. So amazing. And you've been to Wisconsin. And I've been to Wisconsin and had cheese curds. So, but yeah, that was my whole thing is I thought when I saw that Wales was one of the places where Anthony Bourdain was kind of like, I don't really want to go there because why would I? Because between London and Edinburgh, like there's so much more to eat. But I remember him talking about that with Denmark and then he had to go to Denmark and he said, I was wrong. (laughs) The food here is delicious. And so I said, I'm going to go. And in my mind, think like if I were to show this trip to Anthony Bourdain, like what would he say about this at the end of the day? In the words of Anthony Bourdain, your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. (laughs) Cheers. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, and so the final episodes of Parts Unknown. Just before it aired, CNN anchor Don Lemon paid tribute by sa- stating, Anthony Bourdain was our window to the far-flung places of our planet, but he had a way of making what was so foreign seem so familiar by the time he was done weaving his words around the story. Mm-hmm. He could make people realize that what we have in common is still so much more powerful than our differences. Mm-hmm. Along with filmmaker Darren Aronofsky. He's one of my favorites. Pie Black. and Requiem for a Dream. Yep. Most amazing. Black Swan. Most amazing director of our time. <laughs> now I'm now well, one of the. But he traveled to the Buddhist kingdom of Bhutan, where they both went. Mm. During the episode, Bourdain and Arnofsky dined with local yak herders in the Himalayans, and in the nation's capital of Thimphu, they also participate in a Bhutanese death ritual. And Bourdain spends some time contemplating about the con- the country's concept of death. Bourdain says, It is considered therapeutic to think about death a few times a day. A man replies, You are reminded time and time again not to take things too seriously. And Bourdain affirms, Life is but a dream. And that's the last episode he recorded before his death. Aronofsky says that Bhutan was where I really got to know Tony. There, I became aware of his utter lack of vanity. He never adjusted his hair or gave a damn about makeup or a lighting setup. We debated the fate of the country, the fate of the world. He was perplexed as to how mankind's endless hunger to consume could be curtailed. And that was sort of the episode of Bhutan. That's just Mm -hmm. crazy because his last episode he ever did, he did a death ritual. Yeah. Yeah. And... And so it's fascinating to me that he did that with Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Because everything I know about Anthony Bourdain and I don't even know if I've said on the podcast that I was a film studies student. <laughs> I don't think I've said that. So I'm kind of a fucking nerd yeah. when it comes to this shit. But everything, uh, the majority of his films are about obsession. Yeah. And, um, it, Addiction, mm-hmm. which we know, yeah, Anthony Bourdain struggled with, yeah, um, and and the will to live, yeah, but the will to live life at the most fullest, like yeah, and I say most fullest intentionally, mm-hmm. like like to a degree that you cannot achieve, right? And so to me, that is fascinating. Fascinating that they did that together, yeah. And that that was the last one. Yeah. I mean, it was it was after that when they were recording and in France, I believe. And he was there with Eric Repair. And when he didn't show up, Eric went to look for him and found him hanging in his room. Yeah. And so, but yeah, that was mm. the life and death of Anthony Bourdain. And... Um, and it all you're always going to wonder what was yeah. going through his mind. Yeah. But I think that speaks to mental health. Yeah, for sure. And heartbreaking. Um so many people said that if he had, if he had waited another day, he probably wouldn't have done it. Oh. That's I mean, but you hear a lot of people say that about I mean, that is depression. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Like yeah. if you're able to go through it with with it this day, then you can go through with it. But if you just wait another day, it, you won't be as inclined yeah. to but then three days from now it's just it's almost like the perfect um, i can't use the word perfect yeah i know you. but it's the um the crossroads of having the will to do it mm-hmm. and being the mindset to do it when someone yeah. when there's a death by suicide and i think mindset is people it drives me crazy when people say suicide is a coward's act yeah, because like, I can't imagine. I mean, it's it's not a coward's act. It is, and I think we posted this on our Instagram. As I know, you know, but I don't know if other people remember that the week Anthony Bourdain died, it was like just a couple of days later that Kate Spade yeah. also died, mm-hmm. and it, they were both death by suicide. Yeah, um, and we had posted on our Instagram a picture of Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, who was a visionary. Yeah, in her own, both of them visionaries. Yeah. Um. And we said, what a rough week. We lost two extra, two extraordinary forces to suicide. It is a reminder that depression does not discriminate. No matter how wealthy, successful, or how extroverted a person may seem, we all have demons that we battle. In light of these losses, 
let's honor them by reaching out to one another. That's what Anthony Bourdain was all about. Trying to walk in someone else's shoes. Yes. Sure, Anthony appeared to have everything to live for. He was rich. He was able to travel. He had fans around the world. So did Kate. She had a beautiful family, more money than most of us could ever imagine. Both of them had a measurable success. But the thing about depression is it leaves a person hopeless, and a human being simply cannot live without hope. When you're suffering from depression, you can't see that light at the end of the tunnel. Suicide is the last act of someone suffering from an incredible pain that an estimated 350 million people worldwide know. Let's try to talk more, love more, talk to a stranger. Show compassion even if you don't understand, or rather, especially if you don't understand. Let's work together to destigmatize depression, anxiety, and addiction. And if you're suffering, please know you're not alone. You're never alone. I'm going to leave this number again for anyone that needs to talk to someone immediately. 1-800-273-8255. You can also chat online 24-7 at suicidepreventionlifeline.org backslash chat. And again, that number, y'all, is 1-800-273-8255 and 24 hours online chat suicidepreventionlifeline.org backslash chat. Yeah. I think that might be important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll probably share something about that in the yeah, notes yeah. of this episode. Yeah. yeah. But I love that. Like, yeah. let's talk more. Don't judge people. You don't know what their life is like. Yeah. Yeah, these rich people that commit suicide, it's easy. It's just easy to look at them and be like, oh, fucking, oh, your life's so hard. You don't fucking know what they're going through. Right. Let's try to connect more. Let's try to figure out. Let's try to help people. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Straight up. Because it's not just famous people. No. That, that do it. No. No, no, no. They're, mm. no. It's I have a, depression. I have a friend who's a teacher who one of her students did yeah. recently, and she had already been accepted to college. She was, um, and yeah, she had already been accepted to college and was, if she had just waited a few more months, she would have gone and probably had a whole new life, but she was bullied a lot at For, school. For her, you what? But she was bullied a lot because of her gender identity. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so, which is awful, and it happens a lot. But if she if she had just waited a few more few more months, one day she would have been the coolest yeah. kid and on campus. Oh, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because if you're not cool in high, or if you don't feel cool in high school, you're gonna you're be the coolest so in college. Cool at college. <laughs> telling you yeah. uh, and I don't mean to make light of that but I mean it's it seems like that's how it goes but that's what the whole like mentality of it gets better yeah yeah it gets better and did you ever watch the Barack Obama episode with I mean that was one of my favorites because you could set, tell that Anthony was like name was kind of nervous. nervous I was about to say that and then all of a sudden he was comfortable you're like what's the big deal and then cause, and then there's Barack Obama and um they so, were com- yeah yeah so the quote, um, and then Barack Obama shared a quote, you know, after um, after he died, and he said, with a picture, and said, low plastic stool, cheap but delicious noodles, cold Hanoi beer. This is how I'll remember Tony. He taught us about food, but more importantly, about its ability to bring us together, to make us a little less afraid of the unknown. Ain't that the damn truth? We'll miss him. <laughs> and that's, I mean, but that's so true because it shows you how you can unite each other and everybody can be fucking pissed and mad mm-hmm. and angry, but it's like, all right, we're going to sit down and we're going to eat. Yeah. I mean, well, it, and food, we talk about a lot with the funeral yeah. stuff. Like that is food just, like, I know scent is the most uh, powerful yeah. um, sense. Yeah. But... There's something to be said about food and taste that can just take you back. Yeah. Like, and just if, if you find someone and you can sit down with them over a good meal, even if it's someone you don't like. Yeah. You're going to find some common ground. Well, that's what I was just thinking to myself. Like, imagine if there was somebody who said something that you didn't agree with and mm-hmm. you start to get mad about it because you, you start to get your defenses up and it's important to have these discussions with mm-hmm. people. But you said... I don't know that I agree with you. Let's sit down and have a meal together. Let me cook something for you. You bring something. I bring something. Let's sit down and have a real discussion about what our differences are 
so that we can find out what we also have in common. Yeah, well, it's based in our, like, it's like survivalists, too. You have to eat to live. But, like, what's better than enjoying what you eat? Yeah. And either doing it with great company Mm -hmm. that you already know you love or making, like, finding a common ground. Yeah. Compromising. Right. Getting along. Yeah. Yeah. If I, I mean, I think that was what was so, like, beautiful about Anthony Bourdain and his just... Well, his lack of judgment. Yeah. yeah. Oh, complete lack of judgment mm-hmm. was amazing. And he would go to these foreign countries and just eat all kinds of stuff. And just whatever they put in front of him, he was going to eat it. And, mm-hmm. and he never had qualms about it. And he, <laughs> he had a serious... And I'm not trying to offend any vegetarians out there, but he was just like, why, why, why are you doing this? But then he also said that he felt like Americans, Americans ate too much meat Mm -hmm. and we should eat less meat. Well, and they, the come as a former vegetarian, I think a lot of the reason, and I think Anthony Bourdain would understand this is the ethical treatment of animals and also exactly like the the fact that we mass produce it and especially in america but other countries they don't do that so much and so his his feelings were eat well they don't mass produce yeah Yeah. like yeah his feelings were eat less eat less meat you know meatless mondays do what you can to curtail your meat intake but don't insult other countries Mm -hmm. by turning your nose up if they offer you a meal that has meat oh, in it because it's insulting to As another a country. fucking former vegetarian, let yeah. me tell you, some of my friends were the most pretentious assholes. Yeah. And vegan. Yeah. And like, love you vegans, especially if it's for a dietary reason. <laughs> but if you're vegan yeah. and you have to fucking let everyone know, <laughs> take several seats. And if you think about it, like, what is more fucking privileged yeah. than being able to actually choose what Not you to eat, eat something. Yeah. yeah. Being able to choose what you eat. Like that is a And very to judge people society. for for not doing the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Because there are other cultures that literally don't have a choice. And I mean, even actually, even Americans who are poor, like yeah. don't have a choice to some extent. Like Absolutely. you have to get protein, you have to get a balanced nutrition. And so I mean, when you think about it, like there's it kind of speaks to your lack of knowledge about other cultures Especially and about when you're, like bragging about it yeah. and you're just pretentious and you have to let every person you meet know oh, I'm vegan. Yeah. Vegan. And I mean that's a personal decision. I would never try to push somebody like, "Oh, why are you vegan? Like you need to no. eat more meat." Never. But that's the the flip side of it. Yeah. And the, like I said, come from vegetarian. Yeah. Um it's a it's it is obnoxious mm-hmm. and pretentious when you have to make it all about the fact that you're vegan and then you have to tell everyone yeah you should be vegan well not everyone has that luxury right i mean literally not yeah. everyone and it it sort of shows the lack of understanding about people from poor cultures mm-hmm. and third world countries that literally don't have a choice yeah of what to eat now i mean i feel like that's what anthony bourdain always tried to make apparent yeah. when he was he said i would never turn my nose up at someone else's cuisine because that is an insult to their whole culture their mm-hmm. whole way of life and so mm-hmm. If they offer me food, I'm going to eat it. And he did say that the worst thing he ever had was the fermented shark in Iceland, which is one of their delicacies. Oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds revolting. But at the same time, if I was... I mean, I think about when I was a child and I mm-hmm. went to someone else's house. I was a very picky eater as a child. Oh, but I would, was an asshole. I would always it was like instilled in me that when you're at someone <laughs> else's house, you're at someone else's table... You eat it. Like, even if you don't like it, you force it down your gullet and you say thank you. Well, granted, Layla's four, but I'm trying oh. to instill that in her. But she's currently the version of unvegan, but I prefer <laughs> macaroni, cheese, and pizza. So, <laughs> well, she's a four year old. I don't, I mean, I don't remember at what point that started. She drives me insane. <laughs> she's like, mm, I'm sorry. I don't eat chicken fingers, I like chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't even like jelly anymore yeah she's uh, <laughs> yeah like i'm gonna give her anywhere? some fucking fermented shark <laughs> there you go <laughs> she'll um, probably love it 
But they're yet my dad and so my dad they grew up really poor and my husband they grew up poor like the concept of not liking what you eat like not eating something because you don't like it that like Gary can't even wrap his brain around it. Well, and that's why I said when I was like, "Oh, how did Gary like that?" Like, yeah, when I was asking because I was. Well, he's not picky at all. But I'm thinking like this South Georgia boy because I know a lot of South Georgia boys, and I'm like, I'm sure most South Georgia boys are like, "Oh, the fuck is that?" But I'm like, no. this motherfucker was like, "Oh, I love a motherfucking big hot dog." <laughs> I, I no, can didn't. I eat it? He no, oh, he didn't, didn't like it. Remember, that was the whole thing is he didn't like those hot dogs. But he ate them. He ate them because that was all he had. Yeah, exactly. Because that was the whole story was I like a good, I like, I like a good hot dog. I don't like a red hot dog, but I like a good hot dog. And My so mom I- purposely, purposefully <laughs> buys the pink ones because she says those are the good ones. But I like going, uh, one time I went to the store and bought some because I was just craving a good hot dog. That's right. I remember. Yeah. Okay. And he was like, are we, do you need money for groceries? <laughs> like, why, like, are we that poor now? And I'm like, because that's how he saw it was yeah. like, that's how his granny would feed him and the other kids in the neighborhood is she said, I can't feed all these kids, but I'll take a pack of red hot dogs and a stack of white bread mm-hmm. and some ketchup and they will at least not starve so hungry yeah. tonight. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, he didn't really like hot dogs and he, <laughs> but, but he didn't judge it and he no. didn't turn his nose up at it. Nope. Whatever you put in front of me. And that's always my joke about Gary is you could give him an apple on a fork and he'd be like, Oh, thank you so much for <laughs> fixing me dinner tonight. He's like my dog. <laughs> yeah, he's very doggy. When I remember to feed them. But I will say a lot of restaurants we go to, like he doesn't know as much about the food and mm-hmm. so sometimes it's it's Is he hilarious. Interested? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny and he makes jokes about it all the time because he's like until I married you, I never thought I'd go to a restaurant and be like, How's the charcuterie board? <laughs> <laughs> And um, oh, how long did it take him to get the pronunciation right? <laughs> he, he got it pretty quick, but Gary's very smart, guys. I'm not yeah. shitting on Gary. I'm just curious because I know that it took me a little the, while. And there are so many. I feel like men, especially, that are like, "Ew, no!" Like mm-hmm. that's not steak and potatoes. Mm-hmm. But Gary's like, "What's not to not to like? This is the these are amazing potatoes." And yeah. it's funny because we'll be at a restaurant, or I'll look at a restaurant ahead of time and go. I know exactly what Gary wants on this menu. It may not be what he says he's going to order for dinner, but this is what he really wants. Mm-hmm. And then so we'll go out to a restaurant and I'll say, are you sure? I'll say, so what are you, you getting? And he'll say something like, oh, I don't think you want to order this. I'm like, oh, well, this sounds really good. And he's like, oh, fuck yeah, I want that. It's <laughs> like, I know his taste more than he even knows his he, own does taste. Does he like do it like he, oh, okay. So in my mind, I was thinking he was doing it like, I'm gonna be adventurous and try to impress Laura. No. And then you give him permission. <laughs> no. It's more like he just he you know how on a menu you have the words in bold and then you have the description. So his eyes go He doesn't go past the bold. Yeah. He's like, Oh, meatloaf, that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. And then um or like a Cajun meatloaf. Oh, yeah, I'm all over that. But then I'll see something where it's like some type of chicken if it's got onions and if it's got mushrooms i know he's gonna want it and so i always make a very subtle suggestion of like oh well this sounds really good too and he's like oh fuck yeah i'm getting that that's awesome (laughs) i love it um but no he's a very adventurous eater and Mm -hmm. but if he doesn't know what's going on (laughs) sometimes and so the place he's been he's just like fine you fucking order i don't care you you just tell me what i want that's cool (laughs) I love Um So, but I mean, that's about all I have to say about Rodain, but I wanted to end it on mm-hmm. a quote of his. Okay. Yeah. So, um, actually, I have two. So, okay. We'll do both and we can decide which one or we can just do both. Okay. So, one was as you move through this life and this world, you change. Blah, blah, blah. As you move through this life and this world, you change things slightly. You leave marks behind, however small. And in return, life and travel leaves marks on you. Most of the time, those marks on your body or on your heart are beautiful. Often, though, they hurt. Mm. Travel isn't always pretty. It isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. It even breaks your heart. But that's okay. The journey changes you. It should change you. It leaves marks on your memory, on your consciousness, on your heart, and on your body. You take something with you. Hopefully, you leave something good behind. And so, 
Mm. That's, yeah. So that's Anthony Bourdain and the life and the legacy that he leaves behind and how he sort of uh, has affected me personally, I guess. And you're just like one person. Yeah. Like, I didn't mean that to sound as shitty as it was. (laughs) It didn't come out shitty. Okay, good. You're just one person. You're just a nobody. It's just (laughs) you. There are so many other people. But I think that's what's cool is he had such a diverse group he is really a, I mean, I feel like just about anybody could find something to relate to in yeah. Anthony Bourdain. So. Well, and, and we do talk a lot about how certain celebrity deaths affect us more than yeah, others. Yeah, that was a big one for me. Well, you had a personal connection. Yeah, I had a personal connection to him. So, I, I get it. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm such a loser. Yeah. Because my, Yeah. Because <laughs> my big celebrity death would be like Tom Petty, but I have my own reason. Do you yeah. know what I mean? My own reason to to mourn him, and your reason for like when Anthony Bourdain died, it was shocking. I was sad, mm-hmm. and yes, I do everything I wrote in the Instagram thing. Like yeah, like listen to what he was saying. Yeah, be considerate of others, and so for that, I can understand. But I I understand why he was important. So yeah, and so many others. And he also was like so. His first book, he was had some of that. Um, we'll say ingrained masculinity mm-hmm. in the way that he talked. Um, in the first book that he released. So glad you're talking about this. So, but by the time, I <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I'm really because like, never. Mind. Go. But then, um, after the fact, but he, at the same time he was doing that. But he was also one of the few people hiring women in his kitchen well he he before that. he died he actually came out and talked yes. about how okay how he how he regretted some of the things that he, he said. said about women yeah, yeah exactly he um i mean but just shows you we're we're all flawed people and the stuff that's ingrained in us is ingrained in mm-hmm. us and then when you start to see the world a different way and also he had traveled after after he wrote those mm-hmm. books those books were before he had been places and seen yeah. things and so he later admitted that the things that he said in his books were wrong and mm-hmm. he was sorry and he apologized and if he ever belittled or you know not if he did but when when he did, when he yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry when he did that he he apologized mm-hmm. for it and i think that that says a lot yeah um, i agree yeah joe biden could learn a thing or two <laughs> Oh, no. Just saying. (laughs) Oh, man. But, yeah, so. That's a pretty short soapbox. Yeah. I did good. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't even a full box. You're just like. "Mm, I put put a big toe on. That was a soap bar. (laughs) I put it, I like washed my hands. Okay. I took a very quick, I used hand sanitizer. Oh, that was a very, Casey got on her soap bar for a second. And that, was, that was good. That was very good. And she squished it. <laughs> oh, so, RIP Anthony B. Yeah. But I guess. Tony B. Tony B. Step outside of your comfort zone because. It all ends in a funeral. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye. Rest in peace Tony B. Funeral Stories is produced by Seth and Molino, and music is by John Pope. Check out our website and blog by going to www.funeralstories.com. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Funeral Stories, and on Instagram at Funeral underscore Stories. Donate to our cause on Patreon to unlock subscriber rewards. And please don't forget to send your funeral stories to funeralstoriespodcast at gmail.com or hello at funeralstories.com. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and listen on your preferred podcasting service. Thanks, guys. Bye.